The contents of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Welcome to another edition of Health Kick. I'm Tim Borum. Today we're talking about new ways to tackle some stubborn medical conditions, including the age-related Alzheimer's disease and glaucoma, as well as multiple sclerosis, among other things. While one company tackling these conditions is the ASX-listed and Perth-based Neuroscientific Biopharmaceuticals, which has a lead drug candidate called Mton-B. Now, Mton-B is modelled on a protein that's key to the immune system and prevents uh, tissue injury such as fibrosis and inflammation. Uh, and, and yes, there's also a, a COVID-19 element to the neuroscientific story, which, which we will uh, come to later. Um, now, I probably haven't done a really good job at explaining things so far, but uh, luckily I've got with me the company's chairman, Brian Liebman, and I'm sure he can make a much better fist of it. Uh, so uh, welcome, Brian. Thank you, Tim, for having me. No problems. Um, now, now, Brian kind of needs no introduction in, in the biotech sector, uh, particularly out west. Um, he was head of investor relations uh, for Sovida, which was another uh, ocular play, and uh, co-founded the remote health play called Resap. Um, and he's also involved in a couple of other ASX-listed companies uh, as well. Um, now, 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 Brian, you're um, you're actually from uh, you've got an interesting background because uh, you've actually got a, got a marketing and communications background um, as opposed to say a uh, uh, a strictly scientific one. So, uh, is is that an advantage in getting the message across? I think so. I mean, for me, it's been a natural journey to go from marketing at uh, at, a, at Westpac Bank and then Ernst & Young as I was head of marketing in WA. And then I moved into biotechnology with a company that EY, Ernst & Young audited called Cyveda, as you mentioned earlier, and became their investor relations manager. And I think marketing and investor relations are very similar. It's all about building relationships between the the company and its targeted end users. In the case of Ernst & Young, it was very much about between partners and decision makers at companies, CFOs, CEOs, and so forth. And investor relations is between the company and its shareholders, stakeholders, uh, media, and so forth, and uh, and investors mostly. So that's really where I think it was a natural synergy for me. Yeah. And so with, with, with the scientific uh, people, the boffins, if you like, do you, do you sort of often... Uh feel that they kind of need to get their message uh, across a bit more succinctly? Well, because I don't have a scientific background, I really only know enough to know how to promote it. And if I knew any more than that, I think I'd just dazzle you with science and confuse <laughs> you, as I'm often confused myself. So I tend to dumb it down to a level that I can understand. And I figure if the, if the investor can understand it too, they're more likely to go home and tell their their spouse or their mates at the at a barbecue about this new 
in, in a company they want to invest in. And if they can explain it as well as I explained it to their friends and their friends say, gee, that sounds good. What's it, what's the code on that one? Um, they might actually invest it in themselves. But if you've dazzled them with science and they don't really understand it, there's no way they're going to buy shares in it. No, that's right. And, and, and so uh, from one uh, layman to, to, to another, um, to tell me how neuroscientific uh, came about. Well, it came about because there is this really interesting drug that you mentioned earlier called m b It's a peptide, as you said. But it did some pretty novel things in early rat studies where they, where they severed the optic nerve in, in six rats and just to see what would happen after they gave them this drug. And with these drugs, you really don't know what they're going to do when you first start clinical trials. You don't know really what's good for. So this University of Copenhagen in, in Europe actually did this study and they found that the optic nerve completely regenerated, which was remarkable. In fact, I think it's the first time it's what's well, first time in science. So the start, the thinking there is, well, maybe this drug is actually good for neurological disorders where it can actually regenerate damaged neurons in the brain. And if it can, then we're talking about a massive breakthrough in science. Of course, there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done in taking that drug through the safety and toxicology studies and then eventually into human trials. But this is a potentially breakthrough drug in an area which is very, very not met. It's very uh, unmet need um, in the market for a drug that can regenerate damaged cells in the brain. And by the way, why not in other organs in the body as well? Mm, mm. And in terms of unmet need, your uh, lead program, I understand, is for uh, Alzheimer's disease, which is uh, um, notoriously hard to treat and increasingly prevalent, uh, which is, I, I presume, why the company is uh, zeroing in on, uh, on that uh, illness. Well, we are, look, we, when we started it, we were definitely focused on Alzheimer's. But Alzheimer's has an issue. The issue is that it takes a very, very long time to get a drug through to approval for Alzheimer's yes. because you actually have to follow the patient for many years. So we are very much still focused on Alzheimer's, but we've expanded into a more near treatment, a near-term opportunity, which is an ophthalmology, specifically glaucoma, because the advantage of doing a glaucoma study is first of all, you've got the connection to the rats who regenerated their optic nerves. So we've got that connection straight away. But we also can treat in a phase one clinical trial patients who actually have glau glaucoma, which is effectively a degeneration of the optic nerve in the back of the eye, which is causing your, your uh, eye problems and, lock, and, la and loss of vision. So we can get results sooner in ophthalmology than we can get in Alzheimer's. So we're going to do the two concurrently. Yeah, okay, okay. What, what do you think is the biggest market of, of, of the two? Um, look, I think there's no doubt if you could have a treatment effectively for Alzheimer's or any other type of neurological disorders, you'd have the greatest drug in the history of science. But the ophthalmology market is also tremendously big. And it's also a very unmet need because the treatments for various back-of-the-eye disorders are not very good. They have significant side effects, and particularly in glaucoma, 
they, there is no effective treatment for glaucoma. There's no reversal of the disease state. There's only a try and maintenance of your, of your vision loss, whereas we're actually trying to reverse the vision loss. So we could have a breakthrough opportunity in ophthalmology as well. And glaucoma is uh, the uh, leading cause of blindness, isn't it? And- Absolutely. And drugs in this space... Uh, uh, generate many, many billions of dollars in revenue. So there's always the opportunity for a, for a better drug to come along that shows greater efficacy. Uh, and assuming you obviously have to have safety, but if you can demonstrate greater efficacy, then you could certainly dominate that space. Yeah, and it's interesting uh, because you're taking some learnings from uh, the aforementioned uh, Civita, uh, which um, had a... Uh, a drug for diabetic macular edema, uh, yes. which uh, the company uh, the co- company licensed out uh, for, from memory uh, to a uh, to a larger player. So, uh, so, so, do you sort of hope to uh, do, do, do another Civita, if I could put it that way? Uh, well, I mean, certainly, I gained a lot of experience from Civita. Um, I I have said from day one that my end play for neuroscientific is not necessarily that the company will go on to generate tremendous revenues, that we will develop this drug to a point where it becomes um, an opportunity for a big pharmaceutical company to come along and acquire it. And, you know, we need to take this drug a certain a certain distance down that clinical pathway in order to achieve that outcome. And ultimately, it's for the shareholders to decide if they would agree to such an acquisition if it should come. It's not my decision. Um, as chairman of the board, I can only recommend or not recommend it to the shareholders, but we certainly have to take it to the shareholders and they can decide. But I mean, my personal feeling right now is that if a big farmer came along and offered a great big check to take it forward um, after after, say, we've completed phase one clinical trials, I'd probably recommend it. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, but, uh, of course, we can't sort of put the uh, the cart before the horse and the uh, the horse, I guess, to further the analogy, is the uh, um, the uh, clinical development. Um, so you, you, you are at a fairly early uh, stage. You, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned phase uh, one. Um, so uh, what does uh, that involve? The safety toxicology study is what we're doing right now. The phase one is effectively a safety study in humans. So in order for us to move into a phase one, we actually have to complete the safety toxicology studies in animals. And yes. you know, thus far, we have done rats, uh, rabbits, pigs, and, and uh, you know, we're now moving into completing those studies. And we expected to complete those safety toxicology studies this quarter. Now, it has taken longer than we thought it would to do that, and that's because we have had some issues along the way, and predominantly it's manufacturing. Uh, the manufacturing of this drug is very complex, and we have now solved that problem. We have uh, three uh, manufacturers that, uh, that, we, uh, that have now overcome the manufacturing difficulties of this drug, and it also provides us alternatives. If there's a manufacturing delay in one, we can source it from another. So, um, so that has been um, a delay in the completion of the safety and toxicology studies due to manufacturing, but that's now been overcome. We expect to report on safety and tox this quarter, 
and commence our phase one next quarter. Yeah, okay. And and, and how's it made? Is it uh, is it based on a Amazonian plant or something, or, or, or synthesised from uh, fr- from something else? Now you're getting now you're getting scientific with me, Tim. Um, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how it's made. I know that the process is very complex, and that also has to be um, of a very high degree of purity. Sure. So, we, so, so I know that um, my my team, which is led by um, Matt Lidlow and Dr. Anton Yuvarov, the two executive directors of Neuroscientific, um, they could probably be a better position to. Ex- to answer how the actual product is made. But I do know that it is a complex process and we have taken a long time to overcome those issues and we have. And I'm really pleased to say that we have because it has in fact delayed the release of the safety and toxicology report and the commencement of the phase one, which we can now move into next quarter. Sure, okay. Well, look, look that's fine. I think we can take it as read that the, uh, uh, the manufacturing process is... Uh, complex and expensive um but you've um overcome the uh the hurdles um did uh COVID-19 delay things to any great degree I think it did in some ways because um you know labs shut down because they can't work with each other and and so forth so it probably has delayed us somewhat um but I don't think overly I think it's just a complex thing and it requires some very smart people to work it out we knew it was going to be complex when we started it but um, it's uh, I don't know, I don't want to put any blame on anything like COVID nineteen. I actually see COVID nineteen as an opportunity for the company, not not an impediment. Yes, and I was going to segue to that because um, there's a, uh, a therapeutic element, isn't there? Uh, because uh, MTN B is in the the uh, uh, fibrosis and inflammation space, and of course the main uh, the main thing that kills uh, COVID patients is um, uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS. So I presume that uh, you're uh, looking at tackling uh, ARDS. Well, yes, we are. It, and it's uh, it's not going away. I mean, um, we have so many millions of people who've been infected with COVID-19 and they're getting this, you might call it ARDS. I hadn't actually heard that, but I, I call it post-COVID lung fibrosis. Yes. I'm sure we're talking about the same thing. Yes, and yes, we are. And so this this lung fibrosis is effectively killing lung cells en masse. So you're losing a great portion of your lungs, and they're big organs, and you lose a big, big chunk of those um, of those lungs, and you're going to have very significant um, lung disorder and breathing difficulties, which can certainly lead to death. And the question is, can our Mtn B protein, which has this innate immune response, to tissue injury in the brain, the eye, and the heart, and and why not lungs? So it was just a natural thing for us to explore this tremendous opportunity uh, to treat the millions and millions of people who suffer from post-COVID lung fibrosis and die of it. Um, and, of course, for us, the logical thing to do would be to find an appropriate partner to take that forward. And in doing so, we have the University of Western Australia and also the Institute of Respiratory Health, which um, I think is critically important to demonstrate to investors that we have significant partners in this pursuit and that they're using our drug, Mtn b as a potential treatment and cure for this illness. 
And what's happened so far with that COVID program? I mean, uh, is it an animal study stage or sort of more research or conceptual stage? Uh, well, it's more than that. I mean, the, really, the, the, the key here is that you need to be able to manufacture and scale up production of M10B to actually provide product for all the multiple clinical trials that we're going to be entering into next quarter or from the start of next quarter. So, you know, one of the things to go off and actually start treating these people is you first of all have to show that you can manufacture it at a high degree of quality and uh, concentration and, and purity. And you also have to show that the drug is safe. So this would be a program that we would enter into after we release the safety and toxicology results and do a safety phase one trial um, systemically in humans. So this is obviously we have to actually inject M10B into people's drug, uh, into their bloodstream and to prove that there is no negative health effects to the drug. Once you've done that, then we can start going straight into into, um, um, fibrosis patients. Yeah, okay. Okay, great. And, of course, all of this requires uh, money. And uh, on on, on that note, you uh, uh, fairly recently... um, uh, attracted a $2 million investment from uh, a mob called Alpha Suisse. $2.4 oh, million. Oh, sorry, $2.4 million. Um, what's a million between friends? Mm. Um, so um, and that, uh, that was from Alpha Suisse, and uh, that, I think that takes your uh, funds on hand to about $5 million. Um, how far will that get the company, uh, Brian? That's going to get us a long way. I mean, obviously, moving into human trials is going to be more expensive necessarily than what we've been spending so far. But we're actually well under budget for what we set out to do due to those delays in the manufacturing. So, well, so we've actually got plenty of cash. Um, and I think if you if you see our, our quarterly burn was only what eight hundred thousand odd dollars. So, having uh, five million dollars in the bank is going to give us multiple years of runway. We'll see how much the um, cash burn increases with the start of the phase one trial. But um, I never say that we'll never raise money again. I'm sure I can, in fact, I can guarantee you at some points in the future, we'll definitely be raising more capital, especially when we're into those human trials. But yes, I'd, be much, yes. I'd much prefer raising capital when you're in the human trials, reflecting a valuation of the company that 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 is appropriate for a company at that level of development particularly with the huge commercial opportunities that we have and i might add the interest that we presently have and will only increase from big pharma so you know is our big pharma watching what little neuroscientific is doing my answer to that question is absolutely we've already been talking to big pharma Yes, yes, I'm sure they're keeping a, a, a weather eye on things as they as they tend to do. Um, so, and what uh, what what company is most uh, similar to you, either in the ASX listed sphere or, or elsewhere? Who, who who do you compare yourself to? Well, you know, um, I can't actually think of any other biotech that specifically focused on regeneration of damaged cells. Um, you know, there are, I suppose, the ones that are, um, and I'm trying to think, you might have to help me here, Tim. The ones, um, 
Well, you've got the stem cell plays. The stem cells. Yeah, Yeah, stem cells. And stem cells is a totally different approach. And I think they're a long, long way from ever commercialising. I'm sure hopefully they're successful one day, but uh, that's a long, long journey with stem cell research. But other than that, um, there's no other company that I'm aware of that's doing specifically um, neuronal regeneration of damaged cells um, with a drug such as ours. And... I mean, I'm not saying we're not at an early stage ourselves. We are, we're not even in human trials yet. But that will turn that corner very quickly. What I will compare ourselves to is companies who are, in fact, already in phase one clinical trials because that's where we're going to be. And there are many phase one clinical trial biotechs out there and they have market caps considerably larger than ours, as they should because they're in phase one. But we will be in phase one within a very short period of time, only a matter of weeks. Yes, yes. And, and your market cap at the moment, it's pretty modest, isn't it? Um, uh, 20 million or so uh, last time I looked. Yeah. yeah, 20 million with 5 million in the bank. I think it's important for investors to, from my own personal experience, that um, you know we, we live in uncertain times. I know the share market is very high at the moment, but uh, companies who have a clearly a desperate need for cash um if they go into say a uncertain period say if the market was to correct itself they're going to get punished severely in my experience because you need to raise cash and the market's not you know let's call it crap say if it was um, if <laughs> yeah. you needed to if you're going to need to raise cash then uh, you're in big trouble and i'm really pleased that we had strategic investors in alpha swiss who clearly see the enormous opportunity that neuroscientific presents. And, you know, this was an opportunity that came to us. We didn't go looking for them. I was actually quite happy not raising any money. I felt we had sufficient cash to see us through phase one. But the opportunity was too good to refuse when a strategic long-term investor with deep pockets comes along and says, we like what you're doing. We want to take a stake in you. Yes, and so I presume Alpha Swiss is your, your biggest uh, holder post-placement? No. no, no, they're definitely not. The largest shareholder is actually um, it's actually McRae Investments. And McRae Investments, if, if you want to go back to the foundation of the company, McRae Investments is actually the family investment vehicle for the Clough family. Oh, and okay. people would know, I know you certainly would, um, the, of, of Harold Clough. He yeah. founded uh, with his father, Clough Engineering. And, you know, that was an enormous company. Um, they've sold, the family sold that company on, I think it was to a South African group at some point. So it's certainly great... taken over, yeah, yeah. Yes, but the Clough family invest their money through McRae Investments and this is their major biotech play. And I know Harold Clough personally and he is very, very um, intrigued by the biotech sector and his particular pet interest is in Alzheimer's. Albeit that um, Harold is, uh, you know, is in his in his nineties, and I can tell you, he's still he's still very uh, lucid. He certainly <laughs> doesn't have Alzheimer's, um, but his family uh, manages that investment, and they're the largest shareholder. I think they've got about twenty five, thirty percent, and and they've maintained their holding and will do so in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, you've got a uh, yeah, a potentially uh, deep pocketed uh, uh, backer there. If you uh, do uh, desire another uh, uh, another capital raising, yeah, which is not going to come anytime soon. I'd be very doubtful that we would raise money this year. 
at yeah, all. I, I don't, I, there's no, there's no need to do it. I would much rather raise money at far higher prices than this, particularly when we're moving into the into the human trials, as which we are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Great. And uh, just just to close off, um, you, you you're involved in uh, several uh, ISX listed companies, as as mentioned. Um, what, what what's it like doing uh, doing business in a, in Australia in terms of uh, drug development? Well, I mean, drug development's always been a long, hard road. But for me, um, I'm on, I'm always looking for for companies with a certain commonality. And for me, that is, are they promotable? Um, I have to be able to get my head around what the company's doing and can I personally promote it effectively? If I can't, and there's plenty of companies out there with some pretty weird stuff in biotech world that I just wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. But if you look at my other companies, I mean, ResApp, which I've co-founded, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, I haven't been on the board of that company for more than three years. Uh, but um, in the three years that I was on the board from its foundation, it was the best performing stock on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, it was a very promotable stock. The share price I know has come back since um, since then, and I'm, I'm optimistic that it will return to the high levels once they, uh, once they get uh, better commerciality in what they're doing. Um, but I'm still involved with them as their vice president for corporate. And then, of course, um, Neuroscientific was my first opportunity to step up at becoming chairman of a company that I took as an IPO, which I'm very proud of, and the team that we have, uh, both uh, Anton and Stephen, and um, St- um, Stephen Quantrill, who is actually the chairman of McRae Investments. He sits on our board. And, of course, Matt Lidlow, who's our managing director. Mm, and okay. And then, and then uh, last uh, September, I floated a new company called Nutritional Growth Solutions. And uh, actually, I think it was before October, September. I think it was actually in uh, August. And that company uh, is actually an Israeli tech company that, uh, that's done very well. That uh, IPO was three times oversubscribed. The share price is at least 50% higher than what we IPO'd at. And that's a great opportunity as well. And most recently, I became chairman of Neurotech International, which is exploring cannabis as a treatment for neurological disorders. Yes. And, you know, for me, the most interesting element about Neurotech is that it's the only cannabis stock on the Australian Stock Exchange where the cannabis strains that we have licensed in contain little to no THC in them, which is an easy thing to promote when you're the only one that doesn't have THC and you realize that THC is the, is, the, is the problem. What you want in that company is you want CBDs, the cannabinoids. They're the ones that do the work. The THC is it actually an annoyance, and it's a particular annoyance when it comes to regulatory approval. Because oh, right. how are you going to deal with that? Isn't it? so, uh, yeah. it's, um... You're not going to give a children a drug that contains THC <laughs> and A. Exactly. Well, look, um, yeah, you've got your fingers in a number of uh, interesting uh, uh, pies there, uh, Brian. So um, good, good luck with it all, especially the uh, upcoming uh, clinical trials. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can uh, talk a bit later on about uh, how things are progressing. Yeah, and I do appreciate your time and interest in this, Tim, and it's lovely to have a chat with you today. Yep, ditto, Brian. Take care.